0: If you uh, would open your Bibles with me and turn to the book of 1 John, chapter four. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can grab one from the chair in front of you somewhere. There should be red Bibles. And children, you can be dismissed to uh, to junior church. And we're going to read these. Uh, we're going to read a couple of verses here in 1 John four. And as we read through these, what I want you to do is. Notice that there is one kind of key word. There's one word that comes back 15 times in just these six verses. Um, So we'll read 1 John 4, verses 7 through 12. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the words that John wrote so many years ago. We thank you for what so we heard this morning of how we can trust these words and how you speak through them every day. And pray that as we study these, as we learn from these, you would speak through your spirit, through our, our hearts and, and challenge us to live more for you. Amen. So hopefully you... Uh, figured out here the key word in these verses is the word love um, and as you're probably also aware if you were able to get out at all in this, in the midst of the snow uh, last Thursday was Valentine's Day with our so-called celebration of love um, I went to the grocery store yesterday and there were still all kinds of tables with chocolate all discounted because no one came in to buy them apparently but I was thinking, what if you weren't from around here, and you, were, you came into this country this past Thursday, you were told, oh, we're, we're having a celebration of love, it's Valentine's Day, and you walk into the store, and what would you think love is all about? You probably see chocolate, flowers, hearts, color red, color pink, those would probably be the kind of things that... You would notice there, and as you look around, you may see, oh, lots of people are going out to eat. So apparently, you eat. That's part of love. And you may get a little bit of a a strange idea of what love is all about if you were just looking at what we do on Valentine's Day. But the same is true in general. If you look around us in the world, there are all kinds of different definitions, different ideas of what love is all about. And for us as Christians, for us to live lives that honor God, it is very important that we understand what love is according to God. And so as we read these verses, as we study these verses together, we will see that there's three different things John tells us here about love, about biblical love. In the first two verses, he tells us that biblical love is an all-the-time kind of love. Um, Let me read these verses again. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So it starts with what seems to be a very straightforward command here. He said, Let us love one another. And then we see the word for, so there's going to be an explanation or a motivation. But let's have a have a look at that command, to let us love one another. Now, this is something that John has been saying a couple of times in his letter already. Um, if we look at verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 11, it says, This is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Uh, in chapter three, sixteen, he says, We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And in verse 23 of chapter 3, This is his commandment, that we believe in his name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. And later in chapter 4 again, this is the command we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. So in two chapters here, we have this command five times. Now reading these two chapters will maybe take you three minutes at the most. Um, So kids, if your mom or your dad told you the same thing five times in three minutes, do you think it's something you would pay attention to? Probably, right? probably means you're not doing something you really should be doing. Um, And we can, if we read this, we can come to the conclusion that the church that John is writing to, or the group of churches, he doesn't specify it, it sounds like they have a problem with loving one another, right? John tells them five times, love one another, love one another, love one another. If you don't get it, love one another. But... What we don't see in most of our English translations is that the way John puts this verb here in the Greek gives us a different understanding. Um, Let me read, and it will be up up on the screen, a translation of these two verses, which tries to bring this out a little bit more. It says, loved ones, let us continue to love one another, because love is from God, and each one who loves all the time has been born from God and knows God. The one who does not love all the time, does not know God, because God is love. And what we, what we see, what this is bringing out is that every time John puts the verb to love in these verses here, he does so in a different way than what you would expect him to do in the Greek. There's two ways he could have put it, one way is just a general way, which means start doing something you're not doing, but he puts it in a different way, giving it what people that know about languages call a continuous aspect. What that means is it's something that's already ongoing and something that should be happening all the time. So that's why in, in uh, the verses up there, it says, what John is really saying here, he says continue to love one another. And so that gives us a different idea of this church that John is writing to. It's not that they're not loving to one another, but John is saying, okay, you're already loving, I want you to continue doing this, and I want you to do this all the time. It's not something they weren't doing, it's something that needs to happen more. And what he is saying is, so what he's telling them is not, or the question he's asking is not, are you loving one another, but are you loving one another all the time? Or to put it in more practical terms, not are you taking care of the needy, but are you taking care of the needy all the time? It's not uh, are you patient with your kids, but are you patient with your kids all the time. It's not, are you giving yourself up for your wife, but are you giving yourself up for your wife all the time. And that is, I think, that puts biblical love in a whole different ballpark. Because everyone can be nice to someone, be loving to someone at times. But what God is asking through John is, are we doing this all the time? And the way John is putting it is, is biblical love becomes kind of a a 24-7 kind of thing. There's no time that we can kind of check out and say, oh, I'm just going to not love for a little while now. John is saying, no, this needs to happen all the time. You're already loving. Good job. Keep doing it. Keep doing this all the time. That is the kind of love that God is talking about. And then John gives us the reason why we should be loving this way. He gives, in verse 7 and verse 8, he gives two statements and they're opposites of each other. If you you look at that, he says there's a positive and there's a negative. And if you, look, if you were to read the book of John, you'll find that he does it all the time. Every time he was trying, trying to make a point, he gives it the positive, he's giving it the negative to kind of say the same thing twice, make sure we really get this in our brains. So he starts with the positive, he says, we should have this all the time love for one another, because love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And again, it should be everyone who loves all the time this all-the-time kind of love is born of God and knows God so there's three reasons here he says the first reason we should love one another is because love is from God this kind of love that John wants us to have comes from God and so if we have it love from God it shows that two things are true about us one we're born of God And I think that probably rings bells of the Gospel of John, where he tells, in John chapter 3, when he says, you need to be born again you need to have this second birth where God gives you new life. So John is saying, well, one way you can know that this is true about you is if you have this kind of love for one another. So this is something that would have happened in the past, but then the other thing that's true about us if we have this love is that we know God and that's an ongoing thing. Um, and if you remember John, again, he, he, he has a lot of the same concepts, the same ideas between his gospel and his letter. Um, this knowing God may remind you of John chapter 17 where Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they know God. And so what John is saying here is if we have this all the time kind of love, we're born again, we have eternal life. And the flip side of it, in verse 8, is the one who does not love all the time does not know God. So it's saying the same thing, but in the negative. So if we, if we love all the time, we know God. If we don't love all the time, we don't know God. And he says, for God is love. This is a very common phrase that people like to throw around, both inside and outside the church. Uh, and it's probably one of the most misunderstood little phrases that People like to throw around both inside and outside the church I found that talking to people or just reading about things happening outside people will say well you know God is love so as long as what I do is motivated by love God's gonna be okay with it Um, I don't know if you've heard of it's called the Nashville Declaration it was put together in, in America a couple of years ago, is basically a, a statement of what the Bible says about marriage, gender, um, homosexuality, those things. And so a few weeks ago this was um, translated into Dutch in, in the country where I'm from, in Holland. Now, Usually in Holland the church is not very big, it doesn't usually come into the news or anything, there's not usually really any Political impact of anything the church does. So they translated this Nashville Declaration into Dutch. A couple hundred people, pastors, a few politicians signed it, and there was a big deal all over the national media basically saying, hey, there's this, this thing out there and it's taking you back into the Stone Ages in terms of gender and marriage issues. And what stood out to me just reading about what's happening is that a lot of people would kind of get into the discussion and say you know this thing is bad it's saying that my same-sex marriage we've been married for 14 years is saying this is wrong but we love one another so how can the christian god who is love say that this is wrong and so people start using this whole god is love phrase to say, well, as long as what I'm doing is loving, it must be okay with God, because God is love, right? And it I eventually stopped reading because it just started getting so heavy and saddened that they would invoke the scripture, what God says about himself and use it to defend things that God very clearly points out in the rest of Scripture is wrong. But that kind of viewpoint seems to come back a lot. Oh, you Christians you say God is love. What I'm doing is out of love, so it must be okay, because God is love. Now, clearly, that's not what John means to say here. Um, On the other hand, sometimes I've heard Christians say, well, what this means is that love is... So important, such a big part. It's kind of the central thing about God. So we can say that God is love because it's it's just the biggest, it it transcends everything else that God is. That also doesn't really hold up if you read the rest of the book of 1 John because he uses this God is statement other times as well. In chapter 1, he says, God is light. So if you were to say, well, God is love means love is the, the central characteristic of God. You'd have to say on chapter 1, apparently John is saying, well, light apparently is the the greatest characteristic of God. And I don't think any one of us would really want to argue that way. So what does John mean then when he says God is love? I think based on the context, we saw that verse 7 and verse 8 are in contrast. So verse 7 he said, love is from God and everyone who loves is born and knows God. So love is from God, so who, he, anyone who practices it belongs to God, basically. And then he says, if you don't love, you don't know God because God is love. So he's restating what he said previously. He says, when he said love is from God, it's kind of like, it's almost like a, a simple mathematical equation. He says, God is love, A equals B. So if you have B, you also have A. If you have love, you also have God. If you don't have B, you don't have A. If you don't have love, you don't have God. That's all that John is trying to say. He's not trying to make a, a big theological statement here that love is, is the big thing in God. Although love, obviously, is very important for God. Don't get me wrong there. But, but he's simply making the argument stating if you have this all the time love, you know God. Because love and God, this, this kind of love... This biblical love and God are so closely connected together you cannot have one without the other. Now, the one thing in reading verses like these is you have to make sure you read them in the right order. We, we can't go and say, oh you know I'm gonna try really hard to love because that will get me to know God. That's not how it works. First we are born of God and know God and then because we know God we have this love. If you read through the whole book of John, you will see, you know, the, very, the famous version in John 5 is, I'm writing these things so that you may be sure that you have eternal life, and we always use that verse to say, okay, we can be sure of eternal life, we can have assurance of salvation, which is great. What John does in the, in the whole book before then, he's, give, he's giving about seven tests to kind of tick off and say, okay, I passed this test so I can be sure that I have eternal life. And loving one another is one of them. So he's saying, if you love one another, if you have this biblical kind of love, you can know that you belong to God and have eternal life. If you don't have this love, well, then you may not actually know God and may not have eternal life. So we can be sure because of how we live. So John says, Biblical love should be an all-the-time kind of love. It should be something that happens all the time in our lives, in these first two verses. So it tells us when we should be loving, all the time. But now it's going to tell us what we should be doing, what this love looks like in the next few verses. Let's go back to the text here and look at verses 9 through 11. It says, by this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So, what John tells us here is that. The the what of love is that love is sacrificial. Love involves giving. And the prime example that that John uses here is God himself. If you look at verses 9 and 10, you see that they they start very similar. Verse 9 starts with, By this the love of God was manifested in us. Or um, in some other translations it will say, By this the love of God was manifested among us. um, Which... In Greek, it's the same word that can mean in us or among us. In our, in our society, we usually try, tend to take these statements of us personally, whereas John probably here is talking about us as a group of people. So it's saying God has manifested his love in us, among us. So this is how we can see that this is the love of God. And in verse 10, he says, and this is love. So again, he gives us a statement, I'm going to tell you what love is. This is what it is. And so there's two, as we said, there's, there's two, way, two things John tells us here. The first one is, this is love, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. And If you look at the word order in the Greek here, in the Greek, You can mix words around a little bit more and the sentences still make sense. And so what they often did was the word that they want to uh, focus on, the most important word would come to the beginning of the sentence. And so if if the sentence here starts with uh, his only begotten son. So if you were to try to translate it into English, you would say, by this the love of God was manifested among us, that his only begotten son God sent into the world. So what John is is getting at there, based on how he puts that order, is that the extreme sacrifice of God giving his only begotten son. That's, That's the focus for John in that verse. And in the second verse, verse 10, the focus is on but what comes first is not that we loved God. So first one is the extreme sacrifice that, that God brought by sending His Son. Focus on the second verse is that He did it even though we did not love Him at all. And you know, all kinds of verses from Romans probably come to mind where Paul says, while we were still enemies, God sent His Son. And so there was nothing at all in us or about us that made God do it. It was just his, his love for us. And so both of these statements, John wants to emphasize the, the sacrifice, the giving, that's part of the love of God. But he doesn't just stay there. He also tells us why John, God sent his son into the world. Um, in the first verse, it says, he sent it so that we might live through him. And the second verse says he loved and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's a, a big word there, propitiation. And what it means is a propitiation is a, a sacrifice made or a ransom given that takes away the wrath of God. It's not, not a purely Christian word. It's a word that talks about a sacrifice given that takes away the wrath of God. And the word is related to the concept in the Old Testament, of course, of the sacrifice, and especially the the mercy seat, which was the top covering of the uh, the altar, or not the altar, the the ark, where God would meet with people. And so John is is talking here in Old Testament language about what Jesus has done for us. He is this propitiation, he is this sacrifice. And there is a... A very telling picture of of the sacrifice and what it does if you look at the book of um, Leviticus. The book of Leviticus may be a book that we don't read too often, because the first seven chapters of the book tell basically give all the instructions of the sacrifice. So there's the peace offering, the guilt offering, the fellowship offering, the grain offering, the drink offering. So you have seven chapters of: well, to bring this sacrifice, you need to do this this and this and this and this and this. And then After that, there's instructions of how to consecrate the tabernacle that they've just made at the end of Exodus, how to consecrate the priest. They have to bring all these sacrifices, and they have to put the blood here, and they have to kill this part, and then this part of the animal has to go on the altar. Um, So there's seven, eight chapters of all these instructions, and, and usually by the time we get there, we're like, okay, I get it. They have to go do all these kind of things. The purpose that God gives them is so that they can then worship him through these sacrifices. And so we get to chapter 9, and the story picks back up, and we see that Aaron, the high priest, and his sons, they prepare the sacrifices on the altar. And then after they have followed all God's instructions, the, the glory of God, the cloud comes down on the tabernacle. And fire from the cloud consumes the sacrifice that was prepared, showing the sacrifice was acceptable to God. And it is that kind of language that informs John's writing here. He says it's a propitiation, it's a sacrifice that takes away the wrath of God. So, just as God in the Old Testament came down and consumed and crushed the sacrifice of the animal, and we know from Hebrews that the blood of animals could never take away our sins, so in the New Testament, Jesus is the fulfillment of the sacrifice, and, and as he hangs on that cross, God's wrath consumes and crushes his son, taking away the wrath for all our sins. And it's a a pretty brutal picture in terms of what happens to Jesus there, but that's what it involved for him to be that, that sacrifice for our sins, to take away the wrath. The Son of God, and I know we have the one song, and I can't think of the title right now, the, it was crushed on the cross by the Father. Because of that, we can be forgiven the wrath of God. We will, if, if you, we often talk about being saved. If you read Romans, Paul says, we will be saved. It's actually a future event, the saving part, because it refers to being saved from the wrath of God when it's revealed in the future. And that's why God can give us life. And so we understand, you know, John is referring to this concept in the gospel of God sending his son, not just to send his son, but to crush his son, to basically destroy his son on the cross, to destroy sin. And that's the love of God. That's the sacrifice, that's the giving, that's, that's what the, lo- the love of God looks like. And we may say, well, you know, that's God. Obviously, God is, is better, he can, yeah. He's holy. I'm not holy, so I don't think this is really our standard. But if you look at verse 11, I don't think we can make that argument. It says, Beloved, if God so loved us, the word so meaning in, in this manner, if God loved us in this manner, in this way, We also ought to love one another. Now, the word ought isn't a very strong word for us in English. We can say, okay, I really ought to go to bed, and then we stay up for another two hours. Or, I really ought to shovel my driveway with all this snow. But it's cold, it's wet, I'm going to stay inside. Now, the Greek word that that is translated ought here is... uh, Usually, it's owed. So it's a debt that's owed. So what John is saying is, if God so loved us, if God loved us in this way, this sacrificial way, we also owe it to love one another. And again, the, the verb love here is with a continuous aspect, that all the time kind of love. So we could say, if, if God loved us in this way, we also owe it to love one another all the time. So we've seen when it needs to happen. We've seen what needs to happen. What needs to happen all the time is this giving up, this sacrifice, this giving. And the question here then is, what are we giving up in our love for other people? And one another here meaning especially the people of the family of God. Is there something we need to start doing? Is there something we need to stop doing to have to give time, to give money, that's how that would translate to our, our situation. So John has said, no, know, this, this, this biblical love, we need to understand it's all the time kind of love. There's no break from loving one another. And what it is, it's sacrifice, is it giving. Um, there's a quote from C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, he says, Love in the Christian sense does not mean an emotion. It is a state not of the feelings, but of the will. And if you look into the, in these verses, John says love is this, and then he talks about an action from God. He doesn't talk about God's emotions here. He says, this is love, and then look at what God did. He gave Um, And It may remind you of John 3.16, the very famous verse, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. And that verse is actually very similar to these verses here. So John starts with a statement, for God loved the world in this manner. Now, for a long time I thought, for God so loved the the world, the so there meant He loved the world so much, He felt so strongly about it, but the so there, if you look at the Greek word, it means in this way. So John, John 3.16 is very similar to these verses here. John started with saying, this is how God loved. And then he says, he again puts the focus on his only begotten son, he gave. See, so John 3.16 says the same thing. God loved this way by giving his only, his only son. So every time we're told this is what love is, we are told about a sacrifice that God made to show us what love is. And then there's one, one other thing about love here that John tells us in verse 12. It says, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. You may say, well, what, why is John saying here no one has seen God at any time? What's the point? I mean, how does this relate to love? There's nothing here to connect it. And it seems to be the case there. He doesn't say, no one has seen God at any time, therefore, or because of this. But obviously, John didn't put it in there for no reason, so there must be a connection somewhere there. So let's look at the verse and see if we can find out what John means with this first phrase here. So it says, no one has seen God at, at any time, And I think one thing we note here is he doesn't just say no one has seen God. He says no one has seen God at any time. So he tries to make it really clear, emphasizes we do not see God face to face here on earth. Then he says, if we love one another, and again, he gives us that continuous meaning, if we love one another all the time, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So he says there's two things that happen when we practice this all the time, love. One is that God abides in us. And again, we, with our Western individualistic eyes, immediately think God abides in us, meaning in me personally. But John, with his more Eastern outlook, usually would talk about us as the church. And so, I think he probably refers to both. He says, it both shows that God is is alive in us. Also, God shows that God is alive among us, in us as a group. And the other thing is, it shows that His love is perfected in us. And that's a statement that probably deserves some attention, because on first glance, it may show that God's love is actually not perfect at some point, because it needs to be perfected. Right? Which is a problematic statement. I don't think any one of us would say here, well, God's love is ever imperfect at any point in history or outside history. So what does John mean when he says his love is perfected in us? Well, I think in order to understand it better, we need to look at the word perfected here. It is a word that can be translated perfected, it also translated in the New Testament as uh, completed or accomplished. And so the idea behind the word is that it's a process that comes to an end, a desired end, like a maturing process, a completing process. And if we understand this idea behind the word, What it shows us is that God's love, John's description of God's love started with, okay, God brought Jesus' sacrifice. Jesus was sent. He died as a sacrifice. He gave his life. But that's not the whole story. That is not all that God's love is. It gets, it's completed, it's, it, it reaches its final maturity, so to speak, in our love for one another. Because God, as he said in the beginning, God is love. God, show, God works in us and through us to love one another. And that is, how, that is what God intends for his love to do. the fullest completion of God's love is not just what he did in Jesus Christ. There's one more step to it, and that's our love for one another in his church. And you can go through all kinds of of thinking, you know, because the church being Christ's body, so obviously God's love must be present among us. Um, But that is what what John is saying, is that our love for one another somehow stands in, in continuation with what God has done in Christ. And this is an idea that John kind of gives, gives all over the place, but what it's showing is now, now we can make the connection back to no one has seen God at any time. So we cannot see God physically as we see one another, but God is among us, God is, we experience God among us a part in our love for one another that's how God is at work in our midst through our love for one another so that's I think the connection that's I think that's why John says no one has seen God at any time because we can't see God but we can experience the love we have for one another now John's not saying that that's the only way we can experience God or that's the only way God reveals himself because obviously that's not true but it is one way that God is at work in the world, in our church. And in, John, in, the, in the Gospel of John, these verses may have already come to your mind. John 13, 34, 35, it says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So Jesus was saying I want you to love each other the same way as I have loved you, which, again, is what John is saying here. We love who we are following. Because he says, by this they will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another as I have loved you. That's how all of these things connect. Our love for one another, our all-the-time sacrificial love will reveal to this world who we are following and what this God is like. And I think a good illustration of this is in the book of Acts, the beginning chapters of the book of Acts when the church first starts. Um really know the story. Jesus goes up to heaven says, Wait for me, I'll send the Holy Spirit, Peter and the other followers, about 120, they're praying, on Pentecost, the Spirit comes, they speak in different languages, Peter gets up and preaches to a whole crowd of people, and 3,000 of them get saved, they get baptized, and all these people, most of these people are from all different places in the Roman Empire, they've come to Jerusalem for this celebration. Some of them would have been from Jerusalem. Most of them were not from Jerusalem. Now, did these people go home after that? No, they didn't. It says they all stayed in Jerusalem, which makes sense because they have just believed the gospel. You don't want to just tell people the gospel and then say, okay, fine, go on your way, go back to your own country. So these people stayed in Jerusalem, and the people in Jerusalem that have believed now have, you know, maybe 2,000, maybe 2,500 additional people that don't actually live in Jerusalem. These people need to eat, these people need to be taken care of, and that's when you see people are selling their fields, selling their homes to bring in money so that everyone can be fed as they learn more about Jesus, as Peter and the other apostles teach them the gospel, teach them about Jesus, Jesus' life, death, resurrection, how he fulfills the Old Testament. Um, They're teaching all these things, and. There's phrases in in there, Acts chapter 2, where it says, um, let me actually just read that here, Uh, the description of the early church. It's several times in these first chapters of of Acts. Um, It said, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. All those who had believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. So here is a community of a couple thousand people and it says they, um, they had favor with all the people. So the other people in Jerusalem who hadn't become followers of Jesus were looking at this community and saying, that's a good group of people. I, I want to be a part of that people. I want to be a part of this group. These people take care of each other. They sincerely follow God. And so the, the love that these people had for one another drew other people. It said they had favor with these other people later in, in Acts, similar statements occur. And so I think what happened was the disciples remembered Jesus' teachings in you know, John chapter 13. It says, if you love one another as I have loved you, but this all men will know that you are my disciples. And the church was putting this into practice. They were loving one another and people saw it and they realized these people were sincere followers of a loving God because of that. So John going back to 1st John then in these, uh, these verses the things we learn about love is first that biblical love should be all the time kind of love, should be a love that, that's always ongoing we don't take a break from loving. Secondly that the what of love is that it is sacrificial and I don't think you would find any time the Bible says love one another and it doesn't give some sort of example of, of sacrifice. Another one and I'm thinking of Ephesians chapter 5, Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave herself up for her. There's always that, that sense of giving up, of sacrifice, should be a part of love. And then the third thing is that our love for one another reveals God to this world. It reveals what a loving God is like to this world. So that's John's answer to the question we asked at the beginning. What is love? It's an all-the-time sacrificial, God-revealing love. It's not something that has to do with emotions, although it helps if you like someone. It's probably easier to love someone, to give up for someone, if you like someone. But the Bible never says you have to like someone to love someone. And probably a greater expression of God's love is to love someone you don't like. Just like it said, you know, God sent his son while we were enemies. But what does that mean practically? Is this, is this command from John for us? Well, yes, obviously it is. There's no reason why we shouldn't take John's command here at face value. We need to love one another with this all the time kind of love. So how do we do it? By giving up for one another, right? That's what we said. So how can we are we and how can we be sacrificial, be giving for each other? Here's a church body to each other, at home in our families to each other. And there's probably some questions we may need to ask as we think about our lives. Are we talking about the church? Are we giving up? Are we sacrificing? Are we giving time, money, talents to this church. There's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff going on, obviously, in the, in the church, a lot of stuff going on behind you know, behind walls, behind closed doors that we may not know anything about, but I think the key is that we should all, in some, some, some way or another, make sacrifices. Now, these can be small things, these can be big things, but if we want to practice this biblical love, we can't do it unless there's some sort of giving or sacrifice involved. And I'm sure any, any church leader, any elder or deacon would be very happy to tell you all the ways that you can be involved with your time, talents, and all these kind of things. But that's, that's one implication here of these verses. We need to be involved somehow. The other thing is going beyond the church and, and thinking maybe about your, your family, your friends. We may, we may think we love them, and we do, but does our love for these people pass these tests that John's given us? Is it something that's happening all the time, or is it something that, you know, one day I'm doing some nice things, the next day I really don't feel like doing anything nice. One day I'll say, yeah, I'll, I'll do the dishes, I'll, I'll make this will I'll do this. And then the next day, like, oh, I did the dishes yesterday. I'm not going to do them again today. Someone else can do them. Or are we saying, well, you know, biblical love is all the time love, so doing the dishes once doesn't mean I can leave the next day. It's something that should keep going on and on and on. Or when it comes to those of us who are raising children, it can be challenging sometimes to say, oh, you know, I'm just really not feeling it today, but this is where where the biblical love comes in, where, where John says, hey, you know, it's, it's all the time it's continuous, there's no break from this biblical love, and if we want to show our kids, our family, our friends who God is we need to love with the kind of love that God has for us a continuous love, a love that happens all the time So I think there's many ways that we can apply this, this text. I think we, I don't know, God's Spirit may have been using these words already to bring something to mind. Maybe not, but none of us is perfect. And so I think we can all, you think of things right now or maybe ask God to reveal ways we can be sacrificing all the time for family, friends, people at work, or the church. So let's spend some time in prayer and just ask God to work in us, through us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for John and his experiences, his teaching is here. We thank you that we can look at these and understand that they're for us. And Father, we pray that you would help us to practice this all the time, sacrificial kind of love, this kind of love that reveals what your love is like. Father, as we think about our, our church, our family, our friends, our colleagues, things aren't always easy, and, and we pray that you would reveal opportunities. We pray that you would reveal ways that we can put this love into practice. Help us to stop doing things we shouldn't be doing. Help us to start doing things that we should be doing. And, and help us to remember that love is not a matter of what we feel, but a matter of what we do. Put it into practice. Amen.